Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquino on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. The word of the Lord. Amen. And that's the teaching in a nutshell. Not much can be improved upon there. Um, I think perhaps because of the news of the Queen's passing this past week, maybe I had my head in the history books a little more and I was thinking about the the ancient church. And I think also partially because I was privy to a, a conversation online about people saying, well, listen, you know, Jesus wasn't white. You know, his, his race matters, his skin color matters. And they're talking about Christianity in terms of it being a white man's religion. Of course, you may have heard um, Billy Graham famously preach, Jesus doesn't belong to white men. He doesn't belong to black men. He doesn't belong to red men or yellow men, is, is the way he put it in that time. He said, Jesus belongs to the world because he gave himself to the world. And I was inspired to remember St. Augustine, who is one of the great saints and doctors of the church, meaning that much of what we teach in the church was interpreted out of the Bible from him. That's what, that's what the doctors of the church were. Well, St. Augustine was African, and this was in the earliest days of the church, in the two and three hundreds. So I found this wonderful homily on the Beatitudes by St. Augustine, one of the great doctors of the church, and I suppose in all these things, it always helps us to go back to the early times. But to answer both of those points, it's also significant that people should know, again, because there's so many preconceived notions out there about what Christianity is. One of the doctors, the foundational um, doctrinal interpreters of, of our Christian tradition was a black man from Africa in, in the 300s. And this is one of the greatest sermons I've ever read. And you could listen to Billy Graham. You could listen to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It doesn't get much better than this. Because the Holy Spirit chooses who he will to speak through. 
because Jesus Christ died for all and wants all to be saved. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to give Whopper sermons like the following. So I'm, I'm going to read from St. Augustine's Homily on the Beatitudes. When our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and was healing various sicknesses through the whole of Galilee, the fame of his mighty works had spread into all of Syria. Large crowds, too, from all parts of Judea were flocking to the heavenly physician. For as human ignorance is slow in believing what it does not see and in hoping for what it does not know, those who were to be instructed in the divine lore needed to be aroused by bodily benefits and visible miracles so that they might have no doubt as to the wholesomeness of his teaching when they actually experienced his benign power. And therefore, that the Lord might use outward healings as an introduction to inward remedies and after healing bodies might work cures in the soul, he separated himself from the surrounding crowd, ascended into the retirement of a neighboring mountain, and called his apostles to him there, that from the height of that mystic seat he might instruct them in loftier doctrines, signifying from the very nature of the place and act that he it was who had once honored Moses by speaking to him, then indeed with a more terrifying justice, but now with a holier mercifulness, that what had been promised might be fulfilled when the prophet Jeremiah said, Behold, the days come when I will complete a new covenant for the house of Israel and for the house of Judah. And after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and in their hearts will I write them. He therefore, who had spoken to Moses, spoke also to his apostles. And the swift hand of the word wrote and deposited the secrets of the new covenant in the disciples' hearts. There were no thick clouds surrounding him as of old, nor were the people frightened off from approaching the mountain by frightful sounds and lightning. But quietly and freely, his discourse reached the ears of those who stood by, that the harshness of the law might give way before the gentleness of grace and the spirit of adoption might dispel the terrors of bondage. The nature then of Christ's teaching is attested by his own holy statements, that they who wish to arrive at eternal blessedness may understand the steps of ascent to that high happiness. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It would perhaps be doubtful what poor he was speaking of if in saying blessed are the poor, he had added nothing which would explain what sort of poor. And then that poverty by itself would appear sufficient to win the kingdom of heaven, which many suffer from hard and heavy necessity. But when he said blessed are the poor in spirit, he shows that the kingdom of heaven must be assigned to those who are recommended by the humility of their spirits rather than by the smallness of their means. Yet it cannot be doubted that this possession of humility is more easily acquired by the poor than the rich. For submissiveness is the companion of those that want, while loftiness of mind dwells with riches. Notwithstanding, even in many of the rich is found that spirit which uses its abundance not for the increasing of its pride, but on works of kindness, and counts that for the greatest gain which it expends in the relief of other people's hardships. 
It is given to every kind and rank of men to share in this virtue because men may be equal in will, though unequal in fortune. And it does not matter how different they are in earthly means who are found equal in spiritual possessions. Blessed, therefore, is poverty, which is not possessed with the love of temporal things and does not seek to be increased with the riches of the world, but is eager to amass heavenly possessions. And of this high-souled humility, the apostles first, after the Lord had given us example, who leaving all that they had without difference at the voice of their heavenly master, were turned by a ready change from the catching of fish to be fishers of men, and made many like themselves for the imitation of their faith, when with those first begotten sons of the church, the heart of all was one together, and the spirit was one, and of all those who believed together. For all of them, putting away the whole of their things and possessions, enriched themselves with eternal goods. Through the most devoted poverty and in accordance with the apostles' preaching, rejoiced to have nothing of the world and possess all things instead with Christ. Hence the blessed apostle Peter, when he was going up into the temple and was asked for alms by the lame man, Peter said, silver and gold is not mine, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk. What more sublime than this humility? What richer than this poverty? He has not stores of money, but he has gifts of nature. He whom his mother had brought forth lame from the womb is made whole by Peter with a word. And he who gave not Caesar's image in a coin restored Christ's image on the man. And by the riches of this treasure, not he only was aided whose power of walking was restored, but 5,000 men also who then believed at the apostles' exhortation on account of the wonder of this cure. And that poor man who had not, who had not what to give to the asker bestowed so great a bounty of divine grace that as he'd set one man's street on his feet, so healed these many thousands of believers in their hearts and made them leap as a heart in Christ whom he had found limping in unbelief. After the assertion of this most happy humility, the Lord has added, saying, Blessed are they who mourn, because they will be comforted. And this mourning, beloved, to which eternal comforting is promised, is not the same as the affliction of this world, nor do those laments which are poured out in the sorrows of the whole human race make anyone blessed. The reason for holy groanings the cause of blessed tears is very different. Religious grief mourns sin, either that of others or one's own. Nor does it mourn for that which is wrought by God's justice, but it laments over that which is committed by man's iniquity. Where he, does, where he that does wrong is more to be deplored than he who suffers it, because the unjust man's wrongdoings plunges him into punishment, but the just man's endurance leads him to glory. And then next the Lord says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the earth as an inheritance. To the meek and gentle, to the humble and modest, and to those who are prepared to endure all injuries, the earth is promised for their possession. And this is not to be reckoned a small or cheap inheritance, as if it were distinct from our heavenly dwelling, since it's no other than these who are understood to enter the kingdom of heaven. The earth then, which is promised to the meek and is to be given to the gentle, is the flesh of the saints, 
which in reward for their humility will be changed in a happy resurrection and clothed with the glory of immortality in nothing now to act contrary to the spirit and to be in complete unity and agreement with the will of the soul. For then the outer man will be peaceful and unblemished, will be the peaceful and unblemished possession of the inner man. Then the mind engrossed in beholding God will be hampered by no obstacles of human weakness, nor will it any more have to be said, as it said in the scripture, the body which is corrupted weighs upon the soul and its earthly house presses down the sense which thinks many things. For the earth will not struggle against its tenant and will not venture on any insubordination against the rule of its governor. For the meek shall possess it in perpetual peace and nothing shall be taken from their rights when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality. That their danger may turn into reward and what was a burden becomes an honor. And after this, the Lord goes on to say, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's nothing bodily, nothing earthly, that this hunger, this thirst seeks for them, but it desires to be satiated with the good food of righteousness and wants to be admitted to all the deepest mysteries and be filled with the Lord himself. Happy the mind that craves this food and is eager for such drink, which it certainly would not seek for it if it had never tasted of its sweetness. But hearing the prophet's spirit saying to him, taste and see that the Lord is sweet, it has received some portion of sweetness from on high and blazed out in the love of the purest pleasure, so that spurning all things temporal, it is seized with the utmost eagerness for eating and drinking righteousness and grasps the truth of that first commandment, which says, you shall love the Lord your God out of all your heart and with all your mind, and with all your strength since to love God is nothing else but to love righteousness. In fine, as in that passage, the care for one's neighbor is joined to the love of God. So to here, the virtue of mercy is linked to the desire for righteousness. And it said, blessed are the merciful, for God will have mercy on them. Recognize, Christian, the worth of your wisdom and understand to what rewards you are called and by what methods of discipline you must attain thereto. Mercy wishes you to be merciful, righteousness to be righteous, that the creator may be seen in his creature and the image of God may be reflected in the mirror of the human heart expressed by the lines of imitation. The faith of those who do good is free from anxiety. You shall have all your desires and shall obtain without end what you love. And since through your almsgiving all things are pure to you, to that blessedness also you shall attain, which is promised in consequence, where the Lord says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Great is the happiness, beloved, of him for whom so great a reward is prepared. What then is it to have the pure heart, but to strive after those virtues which are mentioned above? And how great the blessedness of seeing God, what mind can conceive, what tongue can declare. And yet this shall ensue when man's nature is transformed so that no longer in a mirror, no longer in a riddle, but face to face, it sees the very Godhead as he is, which no man could see. And through the unspeakable joy of eternal contemplation, obtains that which eye has not seen, nor ear heard, 
neither has entered into the heart of man. Rightly is this blessedness promised to purity of heart. For the brightness of the true light will not be able to be seen by the unclean sight. And that which will be happiness to minds that are bright and clean will be a punishment to those that are stained. Therefore, let the mists of earth's vanities be shunned and your inward eyes purged from all the filth of wickedness that the sight may be free to feed on this great manifestation and sight of God. For to the attainment of this, we understand what follows. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the children of God. This blessedness, beloved, belongs not to any and every kind of agreement and harmony, but to that of which the apostle speaks when he says, have peace towards God, and of which the prophet and King David speaks, much peace have they that love your law, and they have no cause of offenses. This peace, even the closest ties of friendship and the most exact likeness of mind, do not really gain if they do not agree with God's will. Similarity of bad desires, leagues in crimes, associations of vice cannot merit this peace. Right? The love of the world does not consort with the love of God, nor does he enter the alliance of the children of God who will not separate himself from the children of this age. Whereas they who are in mind always with God, giving diligence to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, they never dissent from the eternal law, uttering the prayer of faith, your will be done in heaven, on earth as in heaven. These are the peacemakers. These are thoroughly of one mind and fully harmonious and are to be called the children of God and joint heirs with Christ. Because this shall be the record of the love of God and the love of our neighbor, that we shall suffer no calamities, be in fear of no offense. But all the strife of trial ended, we will rest in God's most perfect peace through our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.